January 12, 2014, lecture, lecture discussion number 138 on the Book of Romans. Um, last week, I should add very quickly for the folks on the Internet, and I'll talk to them in just a second, I, I'm very likely called last week, January uh, 5th, number 137, January 5th, uh, 2013, uh, instead of 2014. And that's more evidence that I'm currently unaware of not only my surroundings, but what day or year or month that I'm in. So please uh, recognize that mistake. Uh, and for you Internet folks, uh, let me just say this. Uh, I try to... I haven't had a chance, as you know, because of what else I'm doing, to get to some of your mail. But I did want to uh, say uh, that we, uh, Dave and I, were talking earlier about the, the numbers that are out there now, and I want to, this uh, small group to know as well. Uh, currently, we have on two websites that we are operating on. Um, and this is not Cliffside.org, is it? This is just Podbean and iTunes, so it's not even our website. So um, um, uh, iTunes has 52,000 downloads and almost 270,000 page views now. And uh, Sermon Audio has 55,000 views and almost uh, uh, 33,000, I think, um, downloads. So just between those two sites, that's not even our own church site which I think is um, is moving very, very well, if not, if not leading. But between two sites, we have uh, over 325,000 people who have come to view our pages, and we have almost, um, almost 90,000 downloads now. So that is a very large audience out there, and you folks uh, that are listening to me, uh, we want to thank you very much for, uh, for helping out as you do, and, and many of you help out, and and as you know, we are a tiny little band of Indians here uh, in uh, the far, we're the north uh, post of the Cliffside uh, Army. And uh, no one likes to be here. So we, uh, Bill pointed out, uh, Bill the Fast uh, pointed out that it's no longer uh, dark when we start the uh, lecture now. So that's all good. Okay. Uh, you would think uh, that getting past 2013, uh, uh, which is something I would welcome, but I've learned over time not to think such things anymore. Uh, but I will say that if Lori and I can complete this brutal task, this march through the desert that we're in of my late mother's estate, then I'm going to be happy to get 2013 as far behind me as I can, at least that part of it. Anyway, as you know, whenever I take on a subject within a subject, which is what I'm doing now, I am in Romans, but I am now on, I'm at Romans 5. Uh, I've been there a long, long time, haven't I? Because that really is all the further I ever usually get is Romans 5. And that is because there's just so much in that first sentence um, that is the mortogenic factor of Adam, for example. There's, that is the deity or the virgin birth. Why the necessity of the virgin birth in the plan of God? Not just um, the entire scope of it, but the biological element of it. But so we're inside of Romans 5, and, and inside of Romans 5, I have now got myself to the third saying of the seven sayings of Christ from the cross. Right? That's where we are currently. And whenever I do that, I have this subject within a subject, in this case again, the third saying, 
inside of Romans 5, I accumulate these lists. And what I mean by that is that whenever I write one of these lectures, and you know I have done, I, I did the math on them, I have written now, handwritten, those of you who don't know, I write everything by hand. Yes, it's really that brutal of a system. Um, I have no computer. I wouldn't even think about typing one of them. Don't even suggest it. Though my hand's starting to bother me, and eventually I might have to adjust, but I'm clinging to my 1962 Corvair as long as I can. That's just how I am. <laughs> Those of you who have ever been in a 62 Corvair know what I mean. Actually, I had a 62 Valiant, filled with cockroaches, by the way. I was planning that theory. I came, I lived in Hawaii at the time. I bought a 62 Valiant, and I was very happy with it, and I brought it home to the guy I was living with. Yes, the Dr. Hayes, that's right. He looked at me like I was crazy. Why did you buy this? And I said, well, it's, you know, it's nice. It's going to get me. I drove it. You drove it? He was completely freaked out. He went right to the chemical supply company, got these bombs, and he put three or four of them in the car and rolled the windows up to let the, or mostly up to let the uh, uh, smoke escape and lit those things off. And I saw, oh, my goodness, tens of thousands of bugs coming out of those cars. I bring this up because Lindsay is buying and Eric are buying a house. Pretty much the same age as that Valiant. <laughs> and so I just wanted to bring that to the, uh, the point. Pardon me. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. In Alaska, the cockroaches die in the winter. Most of them, except for the really strong ones. <laughs> okay. Where am I? I write all these lists. And what I mean by that is I, I, I go along, oh, I was going to tell you, I have written over four million words now, almost five million. Uh, it's astonishing to me to look back at this little tiny career of mine. Anyway, every time I do one of these lectures, I write these, these lists and I make notes in them. It's kind of a, um, an outline, but really it, it is actually the outline and these, these things that I say are essential. Whenever I'm going to talk about the third saying, then I have to have all of these things that are in the third saying of God from the cross. And, and I say, I write, must be referenced, got to do it, can't skip this. And, and so next to them. And so I have all these details I feel that have to be included. At least if I don't explain them fully, I bring them up to you so you know they're there and then you're on your own. I'm not your attorney. And years ago when I first started, I didn't do that. I was told I was crazy right off the bat to try to do this type of lecture in a church setting of any kind. No one would ever receive it. It would be a total, complete failure, um, especially in a small populated area like Alaska. I was told that by one of the great theologians of, uh, of the last hundred years. He told me, please don't do this. Come with me because uh, you're funnier than I am, and I'll just sell books, and you can do the lectures. That's how I almost started. And I didn't believe him, though, but he was wise. Um, he just did not see that this kind of lecture could, could survive in a church setting. It's too complicated. It takes too long. It's too much information. It just won't be received in the Laodicean age. And I don't disagree anymore. I did at the time. But I didn't do this list thing. I didn't try to get all of this stuff into it. Every lecture, I kept it less in, a, in complexity and less in amount of material and moved on. And every time I did it, I felt guilty about it. I didn't tell them 
all of this stuff. I left him with this impression um, that I could have completely destroyed, but I didn't want to destroy it because I didn't want to make people mad. I didn't want them to leave. So that was my motive. How'd that work out for me? Yeah, thanks for laughing. Anyway, uh, sometimes I left the impression that the subject was adequately resolved. Is never adequately resolved. It's impossible to do that. And people would come up to me, and as they still do, they'll write me, well, I never knew that that was the case. And I said, well, yeah, that's the way. I never had a full explanation of this particular passage before. I, I'll tell you now, you still don't. Keep going. You'll spend a lifetime on Romans 5. Much less one of the seven sayings of God from the cross. Today we're going to go back and, and uh, I have a great story about the eighth mystery, uh, uh, which as you know is the, uh, the man of iniquity. We're going to deal with that a, a little bit today. Because I, I have the third saying. I have woman behold your son. Or better put, woman behold John. Not talking about himself on the, seven, on the third saying. But eventually, I began to compile these uh, lists, and every week I would cross some items off, and I'd add others, and, and uh, always feeling guilty. And soon I realized that my lists of essential elements never got smaller. They never shrank at all. And I was always adding more essential elements than I was removing. And my list um, had sometimes as many as 50 things that needed to be presented. And I would maybe present five. Maybe ten on a good a good lecture series. And like I said, I've easily written 500 lists. I have five million words now over the years. Piles. I have piles of these things. Ask Lori if I ever throw them out. I don't. They're in boxes. They're stuffed in drawers. I've had people tell me, I'll take those and I will write them. There's There's millions of words there now. Most of the pads are yellow. Some are white. I had a white period. Now I'm back to yellow. A lot of what my pads are have to do with what Costco is selling. I mention all of that again because I looked at my third saying of Christ's from the cross list. And I do it every week. It's my little system. I look at my list. I write things down in the margins here. See, to tell me, don't forget these things. So that I'll look at this again, uh, and I'll make sure that I get everything in as much as I can done. And before I write, for example, this lecture, I look at the past lecture and the list. And what I needed to include this week in order to get this done was 32 things. I said I gotta cover. How many am I covering today? Maybe three. There's 32 essential things you have to know. That is, it doesn't count what I've already covered. I'm on lecture, what, 138? So you missed the first 138. You can just imagine. And it's everything from Pascal's wager um, and self-awareness and memory. See, there's a relationship between self-awareness and memory. Your self-awareness, as I say all the time, is not your memory. You are not your memory. Your personhood. That's your self-awareness. Don't confuse cognitive capability with your personhood. I can prove you're not your memory because you can't and I can't remember anything from 20 minutes ago, especially me. I am me, but my memories, some of them I've got, some of them I don't. 
If I had a dollar for everyone that's come up to me and told me that I coached them in 1970s somewhere, I would just go, wow, I would own all the buildings in Anchorage. But I don't remember any of them. And they give me their picture, and I'm in the picture, and I'm going, whoa, I can name five guys. But that's about all I got. So I am not my memories. My memories can completely go away, and I'll still be me. Now, my memories are important to me. Don't misunderstand. And they may... Those experienced formed me, but I would like to think that if I had no memory at all, I would be pretty much the same person, just more weird. But so I got everything from Pascal's wager to self-awareness and memory to and sleep. What is sleep and how? what is the difference between this? Uh, what happens to your cognitive, cognitive capabilities and your self-awareness, if you will? What happens to you when you sleep? What happens to your mind when you sleep? Now, we know that you don't, your mind continues to function. I have a dog that chases all kinds of things in its sleep. If I watched you sleep, you would be chasing things too. You do not shut down at sleep. So what does that say about death? Why does God call all believers? He doesn't say that you uh, cease to function. He says you sleep. A big difference between cessation of function. Now, what about anesthesiology? What happens when you are under some kind of a pharmaceutical um, condition? What happens to your self-awareness? What happens to your cognition? Where does it go? Why do we sleep is the key question here. What is the purpose of it? So that's on the list in order to cover the third saying. And then, of course, the two donkey mysteries. I have two donkeys uh, going everywhere. I have Mary riding a donkey. I have Christ riding a donkey. By the way, Christ's inside Mary when she's riding a donkey. So I can say Christ rode donkey twice. I have a guy, First Kings 13, right? I've got two guys riding donkeys. Why do I have this donkey thing? I got Balaam. I got all of these donkeys. Well, the donkey, or the two donkey mystery, just all of that to get through the third saint. And remember, I, I, John's, I call her John's wife, I call her Chief Kathy, as opposed to Kathy in the front row and all that. I promised Chief Kathy that I'd get to all seven of these sayings before she left. How long has she been gone, John? Huh? A month and a half. So far, I'm still I'm on my second one. I'd like to go back to Psalm 22. I'd like to go back to the fourth one, the hind of the morning. I still have a lot to do on Psalm 22, one, the fourth saying, the hind of the morning. But now we're at, woman, behold your son, John. That's all I've done so far. That's all I've got. So sorry, Chief Kathy, if you're still listening. I got miles and miles to go. Maybe I'll get the bulk of the material introduced. Again, you're on your own here. Don't depend on me. That's a mistake. And um, You're going to be held accountable for how much you know about your Bible. Someday you're standing there and it's going to be a Bible test. And today is kind of a Bible test. How much time did you devote to knowing your Creator versus to how much time did you devote to Angry Birds? Or whatever video game du jour there is. Never played it. Uh, to repeat Eric's line that he told people all the time, they would ask him, how did you get to be such a good percussionist? He'd say, never played video games. 
is a really good way to get things of value to you. Not that video games have no value. Okay, video games have no value. So little value that it, uh, except from a relaxation standpoint. I, uh, start investing yourself into things that have lasting value. That's my applicational part. Okay, we find ourselves, again, third saying. I use John 19, 26 and 27. And again, woman, behold your son. Son is not capitalized. Never make that mistake that God is talking about himself there. And the same is true, by the way, in the fourth saying, Psalm 22, 1. Never make the mistake that he's talking about himself there either. He isn't talking about the hind of the morning. But he starts the third saying with this incredible word, or word, sorry, woman. That's not a mistake. As soon as I see the word woman, where do I go in the Bible? The first place the word woman is there, I'm all the way back with Adam. All the way back. I will call this person woman. Christ is the second Adam, and he is using the word that the first Adam used. There's not an accident. He's telling you there's something very important about this, this, what he's going to say. And he makes it clear because the second word, first he says woman, and then he does something that's actually pretty unusual. Then he says, behold. Whenever he says behold, and again, I cannot do it justice, but just to give you an example, woman, behold! He's about to tell you something really, really important. And what is it? Your son. John. Something very, very important. He goes, woman first. He doesn't go, behold, woman, your son. He goes, woman, behold, your son, who is John. Remember, John's mother is right there. So, we're, we connected all of that back to John 2. So this is John 19. John 2, of course, is the, um, is the wedding, the wine, the water, the potter, uh, the, the stone water pots, the, wet, uh, the, the woman. He says woman there as well, doesn't he? The servants, when he addresses Mary, so I have two places where he addresses Mary as woman. What is he trying to tell us? It is God himself saying this. He knows her name. And that connects us again back to Genesis 2 and 3, the woman. But I also have John 12 involved now. John 2, John 12. Because of this fantastic question that... Uh, he asks Mary in John 2. And again, I have the first Adam and the woman, and now I have the last Adam and the woman. And this great question that God asks at John 2, 4 is this. Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? So that's an unbelievable question. If you've been here, you know that there's a tremendous amount of complexity there. And then I have said to you that I'm submitting that John 19, 26 uh, woman, behold, your son is the answer to the question of John 2.4. So he asks the question of Mary in John 2.4, and he answers it for her with the third saying of the cross, which means she still doesn't have any idea of something. Woman, behold, your son, 
John, behold your mother. And again, I'm adding John in both of it to make it clear. That's the answer to, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? And eventually, in order to figure all of that out, what did we do? We went around and we collected everywhere where Christ used the word woman. The woman at the well, the woman, the adulterous woman that was going to be stoned by the Pharisees. Every, every woman you can find. Every time the second Adam uses the word woman, we went and got it and compared it. That's what we're doing. We haven't got them all yet, but we're placing them side by side with John 2.4 and John 19.26. All of that so that we can get a clear understanding of what he means, woman, behold your son. And hopefully you remember that last week we landed at John 12, and that's where we left off. So now everyone is up to speed. You didn't have to come last week. See how easy this is? I have a guy down in California that tells me he only listens to every other lecture. He feels like he's moving faster that way. And I, I think that's very funny. So here we are now at John 12. And hopefully everybody is warmed up and we can start where we are. I'm going to erase that. Now we're at John 12, which is connected to <coughs> Matthew 26, and both of them are connected to John 2, and both of them are connected to uh, John 19. And why are they connected to John 2 and John 19? Because I have another woman here. And I'm busy getting all the women that Christ speaks to in that way. And, and hopefully, uh, as we read John 12, you'll figure out why Mary anointing Christ with oil is equal to the third saying. In other words, the woman, behold your son, is equal to Mary anointing Christ. They are the same subject. So hopefully, uh, you'll get that. If you want to think of it mathematically, uh, woman beholds your son equals the anointing oil by Mary. Because you see, this, the key question of John 19, 26, 27, the central question of the third saying of Christ from the cross needs to be answered. This is God again from his cross. He, or he says this statement, the third saying, and there is a question of all the people that he could have chosen from, he does choose who? To assign Mary to. He chooses John. Why? Why not James? James is not only an author of Scripture, book of James, but who else is he? He's is her son, but he doesn't. He picks John the Apostle. Why does he pick John the Apostle? What's his point? As a, he doesn't pick Thomas. He doesn't pick Peter. He doesn't pick James. He, pick, he picks John. Now, he's omniscient God. John is the only one. Why is John the only choice? Omniscience will dictate that there's only one choice every time. You can't really even call it a choice. Choice implies there's more than one. Omniscience dictates a certain result, right? So again, to repeat it a little bit, I'm going to talk about two Marys. One is assigned to John. One anoints with oil. So I'll call... Mary, uh, 
the Virgin Mary, if you will. I'll call her the first Mary. And she's assigned to John by God from the cross, the third saint. And the second Mary is the one that anoints. Does that make sense so far? And obviously, what, what we're going to do is to start comparing these two Marys. It isn't a coincidence that I have two Marys, both called woman, and they're both essentially the same subject material. So whenever you see woman Mary one, woman Mary two, you know that anointing oil and behold your son John fit together somehow. Remember, first Mary says, whatever he says, do. John 2, 5. He says, woman, what, what's this? What does your concern have to do with me? And her response to that question is to say to the servants, whatever he says, do. Why didn't she answer his question? She avoided that question. Why? I have a position, obviously. And the other Mary, the second Mary, God says of her that she would be memorialized for what she did throughout the whole world. Wherever the gospel is preached, the second Mary will be memorialized, uh, Matthew 26, 13, for what she did. She will never be forgotten for what she did. So what did she do? That oil must be what? Must be an incredible thing. So what is so incredible about it? Did he, did, you know, I always ask people, did he have flaky skin? Need, is it oil of Olay? No, he's God. He does not have flaky skin. But that oil has a significant meaning and significant symbolism. It means something. She just didn't come in and pour oil all over him, and it had no meaning. It had great meaning. And everybody who watched her do it knew what the meaning was. If not immediately, as some did, eventually, as some would. And one of these is honored by God, the two Marys. The second Mary is honored by God. The first Mary is rebuked by God. And just as an aside, you should know that the second Mary, by the way, also gets rebuked. Uh, she's uh, rebuked with re- respect to the resurrection of uh, Lazarus, uh, um, John 11:33. Her rebuke is in the form of a groan. I have a bunch of weeping people. Mary is weeping in great despair. Who's standing in front of her? God. You've got no problems. He re- he resurrects Lazarus. Uh, there's very little power of his required. And we can't measure his power because of his infinity, but that's a human way of saying it. He can resurrect Lazarus a hundred times in a row. He says so. And so why are you weeping? But she's in despair. Her weeping means something. It means it is a statement about her belief at the time. So she gets rebuked as well. So both of them do. And Martha, her sister, also rebuked, John 11.25, John 11.40. So there's a whole lot of rebuking going on, and we're going to investigate that. It's on the list. But for today, John 12, which is called the rebellion or the revolt or the attack, any one of those are appropriate, I would say the attack is probably the most correct. That's the way I usually do it. 
of Judas. Judas, who has been waiting, attacks. So we're gonna, we're gonna read John 12 now. And I'm going to do what? That's right, I'm gonna make a list. And how many things on the list am I gonna cover? A very small percentage. But you'll know the list if I have time. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, John 12, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. So I got a guy in this, so far in the story, I have the dead guy who's now alive, and I have the guy who raised him from the dead. That's a pretty good place to start. Uh, Would you go to the meeting? Yes, we should all go to that meeting, right? There they made him a supper. I also have Simon the leper from Matthew 26. So I got a guy cured of, of an incurable disease. I have a man who was dead, raised from the dead. And I have the guy that did both there. This is a pretty good dinner so far. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil. Yes, probably worth in today's uh, thinking uh, it's a, about $75,000. Okay. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot of Simon, you'll notice it says in most of your uh, horribly... Uh, Never mind, shouldn't say that. A lot of your Bibles will have Simon's son, but the son will be in italics, which means what? It's not there. Judas Iscariot of Simon is a whole lot different than Simon's son. Who would deliver him? Remember the delivery theme. i got to get to the delivery theme, too. It is not betray, it's deliver. God wanted to be delivered. He delivers you. He himself wanted to be delivered. Judas has the role of delivering God to the Pharisees, right? So that delivering theme again. Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. So there's the thief theme again. I have two thieves at the cross. I have thief here. i got to go collect all my thieves. Figure out what thief means when it's applied to Judas. It does not mean somebody that steals from the 7-Eleven. What did he steal? And had the money box. The fact that he has the money box tells you an awful lot about him. That means he is in rank number one of all the apostles. We prove that when we get to the Passover meal because he is sitting in the seat of honor at the Passover meal and he gets the sup. Okay? And he used to take what was put in it. Now ask why did he even have money? Why does he want money? And where, why does he take the money? What's the purpose? Who does he give it to? He doesn't need it. We'll get to that in a minute. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. Does she know that she has kept this for the day of his burial? I don't think she does. She was weeping before he resurrected Lazarus. And then this famous statement that no one understands. 
Certainly no one on television understands it. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. That is an amazing statement. Again, hardly anyone now knows what it means. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came. How many is a great many? And would you go, hey, there's a guy over here that can cure any disease you can think of, and he also raises people from the dead. How many people are bringing dead people to him? And how many people are bringing sick people to him? Everybody that can. And he's well known for this, by the way. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that that they might also see Lazarus. They all knew the story now, and they most of them knew who Lazarus was, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death again. They're going to kill this guy before word gets out. That's a big problem, because what would Christ do? Raise him again. Put a lot of money and energy into something that he just goes, bang. And you can be sure that they that came up in the plotting meeting. Because on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Lazarus had a real testimony and real evidence and real proof. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Why does this great multitude come? Who are the great multitude? Who are they? Just, I can tell you who they are. It's pretty easy. Those are people he healed. He healed multitudes of people. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands. People who had no arms, had no eyes, had no tongues, had no legs. Lepers, maimed, crippled, war people, the, the veterans that had their arms cut off. Healed them all. And they heard he was coming to Jerusalem, and they show up. That's who they are. Great multitude had come to the Passover when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, which means what? Save me. Save us. They knew who he was. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he found a young donkey, sat on it. And that, by the way, is the beginning of the, or the beginning of the answer to the two donkey mystery. Uh, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Okay? Now, I'm just going to make a partial list because I just don't have the time to do it justice, as always. But let's just take a look at those two things that are said. Judas Iscariot says, why was this fragrant oil not sold? And I'm going to say, I'm going to make it two questions. Why was it not sold and given to the poor? So I have two aspects of that question. Why didn't you sell it? Why didn't you give it to the poor? And Christ answers back. Those are two questions, essentially, are two elements of one question. And Christ answers back, you will have poor always. So there will be poor always. 
me, and, and let me do it, let me read it precisely so that I get it right. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. How many you's I got? Three. You, you, you. The, me, not always. So the answer to Judas's questions is that answer. Of course, it makes perfect sense, and it is obvious that that is the answer. Unfortunately, not to everybody. Okay, to repeat my repeating myself, ask the most obvious of the obvious questions, the why now question of John 12. Judas has waited and waited and and waited before he attacks. And he is attacking, he picks the time when the second Mary of the two Marys has come to anoint Christ with the oil. This is the time that Judas reveals his true nature. Because what he says is wicked and evil. If you thought that that was a pretty good question, why not give it to the poor? Sell it. Hey, we should be giving this to the poor. If you find yourself agreeing with Judas here, you in wampum big trouble. That's a profoundly evil, wicked question. And Judas is now revealing himself. All this time has passed. We're coming to the end. Judas picks this time to reveal himself. Judas hates the poor, by the way. That's Psalm 10, 8 through 9 couple of small things that you have to know. Of all of the people in the history of humanity, only one person in all of humanity is called by God himself. Only one person by God is called this. That's Judas. And he is called by God. Let me repeat it. Judas is called by God the son of perdition. Which, there's a bunch of questions right there. First question, if he is the son of perdition, who's the what? Who's the father of perdition? Where is perdition? What is perdition? Why do we even have a perdition? Is there a location of perdition? Who goes to perdition? Who comes from perdition? But for now, that's on the list, right? For now... There is only one person in all of history that is called the son of perdition, and that is Judas. Now, you should know that there is three prominent, if you will, preeminent names of somebody. One of them is the son of perdition. The other is the man of sin. And the next of the three is the seed of the serpent. Son of perdition, John 17, 12. That is where Christ says, Judas is the son of perdition. Paul says very clearly that the son of perdition is one person. The person that has these three titles. Those are his preeminent titles. Son of perdition, man of sin, seed of the serpent. That is the Antichrist. 
Okay, so consider that for a second. Jesus Christ, the Lord God Almighty in the flesh, calls Judas the only man in all of history that, by the way, he's also the only man in all of history that had this happen to him. He was entered by Satan himself. There is no other human being in all of history that has ever been entered by Satan except Judas, who is also called by God the son of perdition. He's unique. Nobody else. So, the son of perdition strikes now when Mary comes with the oil. This, by the way, as most of you know, is called the eighth mystery or the mystery of the man of sin of the eleven mysteries. The son of perdition strikes now when Mary comes with the oil. Again, why now? What is so important and so significant about this oil that Judas is going to stop it? Or stop her. That would be a better way to do it. He attacks her. And Christ says, leave her alone. By the way, when God says, leave her alone, or be gone, or see you later, what happens to you most of the time? Okay, all of the time. That's a commandment from God himself. Leave her alone. She is protected now. Always was protected. But again, Mary comes with the oil, and the son of perdition strikes then. What is this oil? What is Mary doing? Why does the son of perdition try to stop her Why, or, or degrade the process? And actually, not a, that, that, all of that's not difficult to figure out. <coughs> Excuse me. All that's necessary to figure that out is to recognize who you're dealing with. You are dealing with somebody who is entered by Satan who is called the son of perdition. And when you recognize that this this person is special in all of creation, essentially. You recognize also the description of this person who has these titles, what it says of him. The one that is called the seed of the serpent, the man of sin, the son of perdition, that one who is called that is described all through the Old Testament. Ezekiel 28.3 describes the son of perdition as someone who understands the hard questions or the dark sentences. And what it means by that is that his intellect is extraordinary. You have never come across anyone in your life who has the mind of the son of perdition. Daniel 8.23, 1 Kings 10.1 talk of the son of perdition as being this extraordinary intelligence. And when you read what refers to Judas all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and all the typology, and you begin to understand that he is a man who has no human equal in the, in the sense of a created humanity. He has no created intellectual equal. So begin then to evaluate. When Judas says, why was this oil not sold? Why was this not given to the poor? That is a... That is a statement of great complexity. And God answers it. You will have the poor always, me not always. And everybody eventually, if not immediately, understood what was going on. Why was this fragrant oil not sold? Why was the, the 300 denarii not given to the poor? Very wicked, but also very clever. Think Pharisees trying to trap Christ with some sneaky plan. This was a brilliant plan 
of which there is hard, there isn't any equal to it, uh, and uh, we'll get over it or get through it as best we can. Again, what happened when he said this? Do you remember from last week when Judas said that? Uh, why was this uh, fragrant oil not sold? Why was the three hundred denarii not given to the poor? What happened when he did that? Every apostle slash disciple that was there agreed with him. Everyone. He turned them all. They are all on his side. Matthew 26, 8. All of them are following the son of perdition. Including who? The guy that wrote this. John. Everybody thought he had a good point. Yeah, that's right. That's a, that's a good idea. We should we shouldn't we shouldn't waste this oil. We should sell it, give it to the poor. So let's recap some of this a little bit. Mary, the second Mary, is memorialized for what she figured out. She figured something out, and she brought her oil out. Seventy-five thousand, maybe even a hundred thousand dollars worth of oil. And she breaks the container, not just the seal, she breaks the container, and she's pouring it all over Christ. And she's memorialized for that. Everywhere in the world, we will talk about Mary for what she did. And Judas, this amazing intellect of no equal of created beings, human beings for sure, Judas quickly recognized what Mary was doing, and he attacked. And God, Jesus Christ, God, the good shepherd, is side by side with the idle shepherd because one of the subsequent names or one of the lesser names of the son of perdition is the idle shepherd. And of course, uh, and, and one of the other names of Christ is the Good Shepherd. So I have Zechariah 11 happening right now. So I'm going to have to go to Zechariah 11 to figure all of this out as well. I have side by side the Good Shepherd and the Idle Shepherd, which is a fulfillment. Uh, it's a display of, a, of this great prophecy of the 30 pieces of silver in the, in the withered arm, if you will, of Zechariah 11. It is on display right here in John 12. That's the context of John 12. So essentially, we should expect that John 12 is about Matthew 4. Because in Matthew 4, what did I have? I had the father of perdition, if you will. And I had God side by side. Matthew 4 is Satan and God together, Christ. I have 28.16, Satan's first lie. Abundance of your traffic. He went one by one to every angelic being and lied to them. And that lie fundamentally uh, is this, that God will not be, judge sin because he cannot judge sin. He will not judge sin because he cannot judge sin. And he cannot judge sin because God is the author of sin. He is the one who made sin. And he cannot, therefore, he's disqualified from judging it. Because sin is inside of God. There is no solution to free will and sin. Therefore, sin will reign forever. That is just the basic outline of the origin or the original lie that is in Ezekiel 28:16. That is uh, 
Satan's first lie. So that's the context of John 12 as well. Now, with that in mind, consider what Judas then is saying about Christ. Why was this fragrant oil not sold? In other words, what the second Mary is doing is what? Wrong. Shouldn't do that. Should do this. We should sell it. What Mary is doing with the oil, Judas is saying, is a waste. It's a mistake. It's wrong. It's a wrongful decision. Shouldn't be doing that with this oil. And what Mary is doing, she is pouring out this very expensive oil all over Jesus Christ. And why would she do that? She's figured something out. I got $100,000 maybe worth of oil. It goes on top of this guy right here. It goes on top of him because my brother's over here alive. Simon the leper doesn't have leprosy. I got thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people out here. He's the one that should have this oil. She figures out who he is finally. Took her a while. And Jesus Christ, she knows. She knows what she's doing and she knows what she's saying by doing it. She's saying that Jesus Christ is worthy of this anointing. She's anointing him. And she's saying that Jesus Christ is the honored one. He is the one that deserves of the honor. He is the anointed one. And she is the woman that anoints him. And she knows that a woman should anoint him. Hopefully she knows that. I'm going to make the case that she figures that out. A woman has to anoint him as the honored one. It's why he uses the word woman. It's why he assigns the woman to John. She is saying with her what, what she is doing that Christ is who? He's God. He's Messiah God. And Judas says the opposite. No, he's not. Don't put the oil on him. That oil is for who? That oil's for the anointed one. What should we do with it? Sell it. Why? Because there is no anointed one. And if there is one, it isn't him. Don't put the oil on Christ. If, if we're going to grant Judas's premises hypothetically, what would he, why would Christ be unworthy? Because he's saying he is unworthy. Why would he be unworthy? What's wrong with Christ? What is Judas saying? Don't pour the oil on him. It's wrong. It's a mistake. Sell it instead. There is no one it's worthy for. Get rid of it some other way. Sell it. There's no one for whom we should anoint. What's he saying? He's saying that Christ has a flaw, for sure. Christ has a blemish, for sure. Christ has a what? A sin. He's not worthy of the oil. But he's going even further than that. There's no one worthy of the oil. There is no one who will ever be able to save. There is no one who can get this oil put on them. 
Judas's words clearly imply that Christ has sin and then the oil should be sold because there will never be anyone who can be anointed as the solution to sin. And all of the apostles and all of the disciples agree with that. Matthew 26, 8. They all say the same thing. Why this waste? Why this waste? Every one of them says it. Why this waste? It is a waste to put this oil on Christ. That is what they say. That is what Judas said. 26.8 Matthew. Think about what's going on here. How are the apostles doing? Really bad. This is as bad as it gets. I got a woman that's doing a good job here. They're trying to tear her apart and they are saying that Christ is not worthy. He has a sin and that there is no one who ever will do this. No reason to save it. Because no one's going to do it. There is no what? There's no hope. There's no salvation. Why this waste, they say. The anointing is wasted on Christ, they say. Consider now what Judas has done. And by the way, what is the alternative uh, to the good shepherd? There's only one alternative there. It's the idle shepherd or the foolish shepherd. Give the oil to Judas. He'll do what? Pour it out on the ground. He'll sell it. We'll have a party. But now he's got it, doesn't he? And he stopped Christ from having it poured on him, but it didn't work, did it? She kept doing it. And Christ, being God, uh, protected her. The second Mary anoints the good shepherd. And by doing so, she testifies that Jesus Christ has no sin in him and is therefore God himself, because only God could have that set of him. That Jesus Christ is the anointed. He's the one who can save. He's the resurrection and the life. Remember, he asked her, do you believe I am? She put $100,000 on top of him. So I believe you're the resurrection and the life. You're the only solution to death. You proved it to me. And Judas says, no, it's a waste. Christ has sin in him, evidenced by his acceptance of the oil, which should have been sold, he's saying. The very fact that Christ let the oil come on to him and it should have been sold. That's a sin. But Judas is saying. Consider the implications of the anointing has to be sold. What that really means. And notice God's response. And this is where it gets really fun. And I have three or four minutes. I think... Uh, Terithithi, how much time do I got? You have a baby. What good are you to me now? Huh? huh? <laughs> okay, that's the new signal. Is that when Terry has the baby, that means I'm past my time. But I'll fight just on a second. God's response is, he says, the oil is for my burial. It has nothing to do with sin. I don't have any sin. It's for my burial. Okay? I have no sin. I am the am, am I, the I am the I am. But me, you do not have always. Wow. What does that mean? Because Jesus Christ is forever infinite God. 
me, you don't have always. And again, there's three yous you have to ask. Um, who is you? Are all the yous the same you? Does that make sense? Are they different yous? You've got to figure out if it's the same yous or the different yous. We'll do that next week. Obviously, it's not good to be the you in that question, is it? The you does not have Christ forever. You will not have me always. Somebody does not have Christ always. That's not good news. Somebody does not have the life forever. They have something else then. If you don't have life forever, what else do you have forever? You have death forever. Now you're in Revelation, defining life and death. Second death. How long is the resurrection and the life available to the you? Because it's not always. And that's a solemn warning, isn't it? The solution to sin is not available always. It's just like Noah's Ark. The door was open, door was open, door was open, door was open. Pretty soon, the what? The door is closed from the inside. There's an end to this. There's an end to sin and judgment will come. Christ's response to the oil should be uh, is a waste with with the solution is not always here. There comes a time when the solution is not there. And you can figure out in the book of Revelation, the uh, white, great white throne, the book of life, you can figure out when that is. And many will reject the one that is anointed. And they will agree with Judas, that it's a waste to anoint him as the only solution to sin. And they will say it is a waste to do that. And that they'll say it's not true that he is the only one who saves, that he is the only life. He's the only one who resurrects to life. A waste is what they will declare. Jesus Christ is a waste. They do it every single day. Watch TV. They will not have him always. What will they have instead? you don't have Christ always, what do you have instead? And why John? Why did Christ say, Mary, John? Because John becomes the same as the second Mary. Of all of the people who wrote Scripture, one man wrote it with one thing, totally as his focus. John. What did he write? Over and over and over again. It's all he did. Everything he wrote. That's right. Felicia is correct. Jesus is God. Over and over and over and over again. And Christ wants the woman to know that. And who is Mary a symbol of while she sits on the cross? Eventually, the woman anoints Christ says, that's God. Let's rise, be dismissed, and rush to the buffet.